Welcome to the Warriors of Education podcast, bringing you heartwarming and real conversations with teachers on the front line of education from across the country. I am Karen Sarah Watson, and I am a teacher. This podcast is for those who want to better understand the experiences of today's teachers. Come join us. Welcome to the Warriors of Education podcast. Today, I am really excited to talk to Megan Laborious. She is a mindfulness teacher. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. So Megan, tell me about yourself. You are a teacher. Tell me where you teach and about the work that you're doing right now. First, Karen, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's really a blessing to be able to, to share the little bit I know about this topic with other educators. I teach at a high school in Brooklyn. I've been teaching, this will be my 10th year as a teacher, and I teach um, mostly black and brown children, about 98% black and brown children in my school. And um, I've, been, <clears throat> I've been slowly building toward uh, having a full program of, of mindfulness. My, my certifications are special ed and visual art but slowly, slowly, I've made my way into teaching exclusively mindfulness inside my school. Fantastic. So um, now we both know each other through Barnaby Spring, who's the director of mindfulness in New York, which is great. And I, I'm so happy that finally the New York City Department of Education is embracing the mindfulness program. Tell me how you got involved in mindfulness and how you applied that to working with your children. Great question. Thank you, Karen. So I have been a mindfulness practitioner, or I would say a meditator, for much longer than I've been a teacher. In 2007, I started to practice formally, and at that time I uh, received pretty deep training inside a meditation tradition, and at the same time I started to practice in a conscious dance tradition. And I just dove in for all it was worth. I was very resistant to all of that stuff initially, um, I thought it was like kind of BS, kind of like just, you know, new agey kind of stuff that really seemed flaky and didn't appeal to me at all. But suddenly it just kind of rushed into my experience and, and I, I went very deeply into it. So I, I started a, a daily practice, several daily practices, but mainly a daily meditation or mindfulness practice around 2007 that's continued. And I've put in thousands and thousands and thousands of hours in retreats since that time. And previous to that, I, I was not a very nice person. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe I have my moments now, but compared to what I was before diving deep into mindfulness, I was really um, unsettled a lot of the time. I was often just trying to chase away anxiety in any way that I possibly could, often through um, very self-abusive, repetitive patterns and things like that. And so for me, stepping into mindfulness was like, it was like the promised land, to be honest with you. I know it's different for everyone, but it was night and day. And to the point where I had some, some people who I was close with, some friends who like, even within a year, just could not believe the difference um, in, in just how I, my outlook and my pace, my way of relating, my, everything just felt very different. I was finally in my body for the first time in many, many, many years. And so um, when I started teaching around 2011, um, um, it, it, at that time, at least my, my perspective on New York City, on, on, my, on the 
my perspective was that things were pretty intense and um and it was not easy to step into the system and be a teacher and and it felt very harsh at times um and i i didn't know if i would if i would last to be honest with you it felt like so hard to find a way to do it with integrity you know and over over this decade that I've been in education, although we have so much work to do in terms of dismantling racism and oppression, um, we, have, we have made some pretty, pretty significant progress. And so, so suddenly um, I started to bring in, I did, I did a, a training program for how to actually teach mindfulness to kids, which I never thought was possible, to be honest with you. It just never crossed my mind at all for like the first four years of teaching that there was any hope for that. Although I was quietly using certainly my practice to, to relate and respond to children, to be in my body, to read the room and to settle myself so that I could be present for my students. But it never, never crossed my mind to share those skills explicitly with students and certainly with other teachers, no way. Um, so after, when I did this training, I started stepping in and just teaching a tiny bit inside my own classes as a little experiment. And, and one of my, my principal, my current principal, who's amazing, I'm at Cobble Hill High School in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. Her name was Anna Maria Moulet, supported me when I said, hey, can I just push into somebody else's, you know, a couple of classes during my prep period and, and teach this a little bit to kids and let's just try it out and see what happens. She said, okay, sure, you know, no problem. So I, I started there and it was just a little tiny bit, but it was like, we saw a little tiny bump in data. You know, now we see that a lot of times when you start teaching kids mindfulness, there's a little improvement on certain measures. And then actually, curiously, um, sometimes the data doesn't look as good after a short period because kids actually start to notice that they're not always happy. <laughs> so curious, but anyway, we started to see a little improvement in the data and we decided that it would be appropriate for me to have a one period of the day devoted to mindfulness instruction where I would push into different classes all over the school. So this was like, I, I was always kind of, as an educator and I would say to other educators who are interested in creating infrastructure for mindfulness and related practices inside their schools, I was always looking for the empty space. Like where could I flow in? That wouldn't cost anybody anything, that wouldn't step on anybody's toes, and then just slowly seeing where the spaces opened up, I, I learned to flow into them. And so this space opened up and I used my lunch and my prep period and this um, newly appointed teaching period for pushing into other people's classes. So I made a schedule that was like totally a bunch of threads woven in and approached um, my colleagues and asked if anyone would be willing to allow me to come in for 20 minutes a week to do this mindfulness instruction with kids. And, and some people were not that receptive in the beginning, but most were. And so we started to collaborate. I used a push-in curriculum that um, leaned, leaned on the mindful schools, high school curriculum, but uh, it was heavily adapted as we moved through and saw what the needs of my students were. Um, and so, we continued to see some improvement and to feel it anecdotally um, in terms of how the kids were relating to each other. In, in the first year of the, that push-in program, when, mind you, I was doing, so I would teach like, we have 42 minute periods, so I would teach for 20 minutes, then race to some other rooms, I had to have a hard stop, race to some other room, and often I would then teach another 
20 minutes in a different classroom. So because my goal was to really get, I wanted everyone to get like at least four hours of instruction to start with, which is, um, according to some data, there may be, that may be a bit of a critical mass where there's an, you know, an initial impact. And so um, a lot of the school got this initial training. And um, the following year, we added a mindfulness elective class. And that was where I had kids, not only was I continuing to do the push-in work to really try to get some basic instruction to the whole community and also to take that opportunity to collaborate with teachers. Many teachers, um, based on what they saw just in those little periods, started to step more into the work themselves. And my principal was so kind and provided opportunities for um, online coursework and paid to support teachers to do that. And almost half the school became, you know, had cultivated a basic mindfulness practice. So it was partly That's from that amazing. It's fantastic. It's like, as teachers, our jobs are so stressful that we just, anything we can do to help ourselves so even just on that level, it's so valuable. So then I started teaching a mindfulness elective class. And that um, is just, it's a, it's a one semester class and it's um, constructed as, since I'm talking to teachers, I'll say it's constructed as mini units. So it's one or two week units and the kids would have sort of a booklet that they would work through. And then we would kind of metabolize all of that information through conversation, games, artwork, um, written responses, videos, really every single kind of modality we could think of and bring in to keep it lively and exciting and interesting. And, um, and we also created a mindfulness studio. Again, this is, this is so many kudos to my principal, Anna Maria Moulet. We created a mindfulness studio within the schools. So we took a classroom that was kind of tucked away and the CBO in our building, which is Widico, the, um, community-based organization in our building donated some money so we could have beautiful rugs and the teachers donated money so that we could have beautiful meditation cushions as the last thing to set up our you know, little fountain on the front table and kids love being there. A very key strategy for um, helping the branding of a mindfulness program in the school is really to have a beautiful space if at all possible. Right. Um, so that was cool, and I, I will I will tell you I cried so many tears when when the teachers donated their own personal money to to do this meditation cushions thing. It was just that's incredible. I just couldn't believe how supported I felt. It was absolutely incredible and and such a testament to my wonderful colleagues. You know. Yeah. Well, we we I mean we need this right now. So I want to just skip ahead to like what's happening presently. What happened when we went remote? What happened with the virus? How did you, how did the mindfulness help the students? Tell me about that. Thank you so much. So to my surprise, there was a bit of a scheduling um, miscommunication. So instead of having a one semester class, I suddenly found myself last spring with a full year class. And I was scrambling for exactly how I would make that work. And we were sort of getting it together when the pandemic hit. And like everybody else, it was like suddenly I'm looking around the room going, am I going to be back here like ever? I don't know. So, you know, just suddenly flung into a whole new circumstance. And so what happened, I cried every day for several weeks, like many other um, teachers and probably many, many, many more students. 
Um, but we switched to, we built on the topics we already had and we, the kids started using an, a mindfulness app on either their phones or a school iPad as part of their classwork. And then we continued to work on specific topics and we went a little deeper with conversation and, and restorative justice um, protocols. And so the kids, the kids suddenly became personally responsible for their practice. And they would, every single day, there was, you know, how many minutes did you do? How was it? And some kind of a prompt. So they could totally lie if they wanted to. I wasn't, I never graded them for the mindfulness. It was always like, did they engage with the question? And could they, can they? I never grade them for the mindfulness. It's always based on certain criteria. We have 10 mindfulness standards, but it's how they speak to them. Not like, you know, what the quality of your mind is. So the kids started, it, it was actually quite amazing. I don't, I, I don't want to sell short teenagers because I think they're extraordinary, especially the teenagers who I work with. They're like, they teach me so much. They're just so wise and they're very complex in their thinking and very passionate, you know. But I just didn't know if teenagers would really take this on. And they, oh my gosh, they went so deep. I mean, they, there were kids who, I had a kid who, a 14-year-old, who was staying with family in Pennsylvania and she would take the whole family outside and she taught them all how to practice and they would all practice together. She'd be like, yeah, today we practice sitting on the trampoline in the yard. And we, I was like, wow. And I had it, it was just, it was suddenly the kids saw like, I, I think a lot of the kids already sort of saw the value, but they didn't get the urgency or, you know, there, there wasn't really teeth in it. You know, here's this crazy white lady telling them, you know, this is something that's going to benefit you, but they couldn't fully f experience it yet. And then when this happened, it was like, oh, oh, this is something that can actually really help me, help me to cope with what's happening right now and maybe to heal from my other stuff that's making coping what's happening right now even harder, which is true for a lot of, a lot of teens in general, but a lot of my students who, you know, we know that black and brown people suffer disproportionately from having been subjected to hundreds of years of oppression, you know? And so it becomes even more urgent to cope with the situation as it's arising. Um, and so, I mean, I had another kid who his whole family had COVID. His grandmother was in the hospital and his, all of the adults in his household had COVID. They were home and he was home with them. Everyone was quarantined indoors. And he would practice on his balcony by himself for 45 minutes every day. And he expressed that that was like a lifeline to him. You know, thankfully he never, he never um, experienced symptoms. And, and, it, and in this case, which is not true in all cases, of course, um, his family did recover, including his grandmother who came home from the hospital after several weeks. And he emerged just a real champion of this work, you know, who, right who will continue to teach other kids as he grows and, and um, continues on his personal path. So, so how, does, how, does it, how does it help with mental health issues? I know, especially amongst black and brown, brown children, how do you think that mindfulness, how does it help them? That's a great question. So um, I think that the, the biggest thing, this is always a bit of a nuanced thing because the, the first thing that, the first impact that's 
important for kids is they learn how to settle their system. And I think that sometimes that's been misinterpreted to mean they just get calm and compliant. This is not that at all. In fact, I, my, from my perspective, I'm teaching kids to settle their system so they can speak up and step into their power, you know? But the kind of the first step is learning to regulate. And so that's the thing that, you know, some kids, some people in general, but especially kids who've experienced a lot, like you think of the adverse childhood experiences studies and things like that, you think of, you know, there are, there are kids who just literally never feel good, never feel grounded or safe or literally, you know, just don't even have language for it and are just vibrating with anxiety, you know? And so to begin to say, okay, we have some techniques for being able to settle in. And also one thing that I think is, can be really healing. And at least when I watch um, certain lessons kind of settle into the bodies of the kids, this one seems to have more impact than others, which is whatever emotion you're having or this, this realm of teachings, right? Whatever emotion you're having is completely acceptable. And if you fight it, it gets stronger and it has a more powerful hold over you. So, of course, the emotion that's most challenging and complex, especially in this culture for certain people, is anger. I was going to say. Some kids feel like, yeah, kids feel like some kids, you know, I shouldn't, I, I should not generalize because there's such a huge range. But some kids, and often the kids who I think are most impacted by this work um, are you know, kind of have received the cultural message that they may not be angry, that anger is a problem, that it's bad, and then at the same time, kind of cast them as automatically angry people. And so like automatically, just such a challenging space to step into. So to start to say, welcome in emotion, you know, whatever comes, you can handle it. You're okay, you're, it's gonna come and it's gonna go. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Everyone has a range of experiences and you, you can, you're, you're built, you're built, you're very resilient, you're very strong, and you can handle it. And we're here together to move through whatever comes. And so um, I think that the kids, you know, still are trying to talk themselves out of the anxiety and stress of certainly the pandemic. And certainly, you know, uh, when George Floyd's murder happened, just how that felt in the body, like trying to, trying to find ways to have a positive spin. And then they would keep reminding themselves and coming back to you, but oh no, this, this feels terrible. This feels terrible and it'll change, but I can fully be in the terrible feeling. And yeah, I saw this quote, I saw this quote in your article. It said, mindfulness doesn't always have to be peaceful. And that's one of the, one of the children said that. Actually, many of the children said that. It was partly in response to a prompt, which what the question was, does, should, does mindfulness, should mindfulness always look peaceful? And they said, no, mindfulness doesn't have to always look peaceful. And a lot of them went on um, at great length about how mindfulness is seeing reality and is seeing what's really happening and being able to respond to it productively, you know? So yeah, yeah that's, I think, a nuance that I, I hope is starting to sink in for teachers, especially teachers, all teachers, all teachers. But I think it's really, really, really important that as, especially if it happens to be a white teacher or a white teacher plus a white administration, 
with black and brown students, it's really important that, that there's an emphasis on empowerment and not just on calming people down. It's right. not crack control. It's if right. anything, quite the opposite. Yeah. And it's so needed right now, um, especially now. So, so where do you go from here? I mean, I, the two questions I have for you is how can we help teachers also with this? Um, mm -hmm. So let's just start with that. So the work that you're doing with children is incredible. And I hope that teachers will take this on for themselves for their classroom. I personally have taken mindfulness on in my classroom without the training, but doing little bits of mindfulness because I see how important it is. And I'm, I, I'm going to go in, I would like to go into training and, and do more mindfulness. And I'm very inspired by your work. But let's just talk a second about how we can help teachers right now. We are awesome. in a crisis. We are, yes. we're as of right now, according to our mayor, we are going back on September 10th, back to a school, um, back in the, uh, not, not ventilated classrooms, going back into like scared for our lives. We have fear yes. and we have anger, the two things that we're, we're talking about. So tell me what your thoughts are about that. Thank you, Karen, thank you. So, um, uh, I mean, the thing, the thing, the first thing I will, I'll, I'll pretend I'm talking to my colleagues, you know, people, people have developed practices and can let that practice hold them during this painful time, right? We can also use mindfulness to settle, to notice when we feel fear and anger and resentment and anxiety and all these other very powerful emotions that are inevitably coming up for most people. And we can do our best to mitigate that from impacting our ability to relate to our kids. A lot of times it means we're going to have to name it. And so guys, you know, on an anxiety scale today, I'm like at an 8.5. I'm practically maxed out. I'm so sorry. I want to be here for you. I'm here for you, but I'm struggling today. You know, that's part of it. And sometimes just naming it, of course, knocks it down a bit for us. And we're modeling how to name an emotion and, and self-regulate. I think um, I love, Karen, what you said about finding ways to work in mindfulness. I think even what I see is when people work in a little bit into their lesson plans, like in our school, we start some classes with a mindful minute where we have like five minutes of mindfulness, often student-led. I think um, even, just, even just writing in a pause, when you introduce a new topic before you go into the application, writing into that lesson plan, pause and take breath. Okay, everybody, we just learned a big thing. It's gonna take our brains a minute to scrumble around it, right? So let's, let's close our eyes for a second or lower down your eyes if closing them feels like too much. Take a breath in, let this settle into our body. Okay, let's come back, let's step in. Now let's play with it a little. Let's see how, how it lives. So I think those things are very powerful. I do not think that, um, just like with the kids, um, mindfulness should take the place of expressing our um expressing our our needs and also sometimes stepping up and demanding that some of our needs be met and i don't know i don't know where this path is going to go in terms of school in september um i know that many of us are feeling really nervous and but seeing the, that it's a very complex situation you know um but I do think that no matter how much mindfulness we practice, this fall is going to suck for everyone, for the teachers, for the kids, certainly for the administrators. Oh my God, God bless them. I, I just, you know, the, the, the situation we find ourselves in is just really tough. And I think it's going to take a lot of self-compassion to, to just s sort of stay alive and, you know, not, 
inflict harm on others because we are feeling scared and afraid. And, and I think as much as we can, naming our own triggers and our issues that may connect to these, to these um, current circumstances. Um, one second, sorry. I'll take my own advice and take a breath after that. But um, so, yeah, I think that the more we can lean into it and the more we can support ourselves with really strong acceptance, the better we're going to be, you know, the better we'll be able to right. navigate. So how do we get more teachers on board with mindfulness right now? Because I, I, we're going to need it, um, not just yeah. with our students, but with ourselves. We need a lot of self, we have to do a lot of self-care right now. So, so what, what do you recommend for teachers to do right now? Okay. So in terms of from an in kind of a systems viewpoint or individual teachers? Viewpoint? Um, let's talk about individual teachers, what teachers can do for themselves right now, how this can okay. help them. Because I'm looking into like, I want, I want to offer ways for teachers out there who are listening to this podcast to say, you know, you don't have to sit in this like in just in in fear and anxiety there are things that you can do great question i am this there are many 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 wonderful options and traditions you know, well, of course we know that mindfulness is in every religion pretty much and in many different systems many um but one one class that i would highly recommend that many of our teachers have undergone is a six-week um mindful schools class and i forget the exact name of it but it's how to establish your own personal mindfulness practice and it's very very good um very very strong training and i'm sure there are many others out there but it's a when you think about it like just let me know and when i post the um when i post about the uh, about this podcast i'll put that out there so people can look sure. that up yeah that would be great. and i'm like i say i'm sure there are many others but i would say taking a Taking a class so there's some support to begin with is probably really important. I'm leaning, looking around within our own traditions for where there might be mindfulness. I know um, many, many, many different religious traditions are offering mindfulness within the context of their own tradition, so that can be really helpful. Um, I also think developing personal practices of self-care, whether we call it mindfulness or not, is incredibly important right now. So even if it's journaling a little bit or very patient, laying on the floor, stretching before going to bed, or um, you know, taking a walk down a few blocks where you are really focusing on feeling your feet or walking around in the park and seeing if you can spot every bird that flies by, something, things like this can be really helpful as well. Great. That's, it's definitely helpful to hear these things. Um, where do you see your practice with mindfulness? Where do you want to go from here? What kind of big picture do you have practice? for yourself? Yeah, for yourself. Oh, okay. So personally, I'd like to wake up to the true nature of reality, like pretty soon. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> right. I, I, I want to continue to continue to learn what I don't know, which is, of course, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. And uh, to continue on my personal path of, of um, 
teaching myself to see the truth by erasing the stories that hide the truth from me. Okay. Right. And, I, and what about with, and what about with, in terms of your, uh, what you're doing for schools? Do you, are you trying to expand your program or what about that? Great question. So, um, yes, we're, I'm trying to make sure that my program is sustainable within my school, whether I'm there or not. And I, um, a lot of the school is trained in the different standards and stuff like that. So it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's starting to be, um, like it's starting to be just like, oh, we've always had this. It's always been like this, right? So more work in terms of that. I wanna, in my own school, I just wanna make sure that every kid has at least a one semester standalone class so they really can integrate basic strategies and perspectives. And I'm also really working on a program where the older kids are teaching the younger kids, which we started to roll out, but when the pandemic happened, kind of fell apart. We also are working on a school-wide mindfulness practice that happens at the same simultaneously every day so that we can more and more build a culture of love and support and patience. And in terms of what I wish and what I imagine for all of New York City and for all children everywhere, I think that providing kids with these kinds of tools is really gonna um, pay off in terms of not only just creating environments that are kind and responsive, but also in terms of helping kids to process and move through trauma that they may have faced, whether it's ongoing small things that build up or you know really serious specific incidents. And also in some cases, generational and cultural trauma that we hold in our bodies. And so building systems that match, building infrastructure and systems that match the needs of given communities but that keep those ideals in mind, those humane, loving ideals that we have yet to, that we aspire to, but have yet to attain as an institution, as a, as a complex series of institutions, which we would call education. And so designing programs where kids have explicit mindfulness instruction, where in addition, mindfulness is embedded into all content areas as a thread, you know, for example, talking about self-awareness and streetcar named desire, you know, does the character, how, how, what are the six emotions this character feels the most? How do you know and why? And how would you feel? You know, that kind of thing. So direct instruction embedded in the, embedded in different content areas, creating leadership opportunities for children within mindfulness so that they can lead and design programs and go out to other schools and teach each other and build their own infrastructures, centering student voice, using mindfulness as a way to center student voice and to support students in building their voice. Um, in addition, I would like to see more and more, like our, our school-wide professionals, many guidance counselors have stepped into this work, but more and more when the kids come, you know, seeking some kind of support or intervention, teaching them to, to, self-regulate to step in right. first using mindfulness techniques so transactional we're such problem solvers and um we when kids come to us we're so ready to try to fix it to try to like help and we we want to help but from the perspective of the mindfulness sometimes the best thing we can do is to hold space and be there and allow our bodies to just by being regulated to regulate their bodies and let them just express 
for a period of time until we switch out of that powerful rush of emotion and then there's space to problem solve. So I right. think as teachers are so trained to problem solve first, but giving them, giving breath and space to that, I think is a really important thing that I, I hope we can build moving forward. And then the other thing is for educators to be embodied and really to be not only, I've said so many times, that it's, it's about the, you know, the, the nervous system being able to regulate. And then kids, there's so much unconscious stuff that happens when kids feel safe because they know you're regulated, that they can then regulate and then really start to learn and take right. risks. You know? Right. These are all amazing, uh, amazing goals. And I, I hope too, I'm, I'm going to get myself into a mindfulness course, as I said, <clears throat> because I recognize how important it is. And it's important for me with my own anxiety to learn how, to, you know, I think that if, if we're feeling anxious, the kids are going to pick up on that. So we all need to learn how to regulate through mindfulness. So um, I'm, we're going to wrap up, but I just want to thank you so much. Um, this was so enlightening um, to be able to talk to you about this. I think this is extremely important. I hope, you know, I hope we get a lot of listeners to hear this and they can take, you know, they can take this as instruction for their own lives and for their own classroom. So um, it was a pleasure talking to you. Um, and, um, and maybe we'll check up in, a, in, in a, a couple months to see how it's going with the school year and any new practices you have, you can suggest that would be great. We'll, we, will, we will definitely post about um, links that people can look to. You can give me those also. That would be fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for your work. I really enjoy the work that you're doing and I'm really, really honored to participate. Thank you so much. Thank Good you so much. You also. Yeah. Thank you, you too. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> this has been the Warriors of Education podcast, dedicated to all the hardworking teachers across this country. We hear you. We see you. We honor you. Thank you.